Well, good morning. Hope the week for you has gone well and you're continuing to adjust to the just being in quarantine. And our desire this week is that we would just be encouraged together in God's Word and that we'd be encouraged in our relationship with Christ. And our, our hope is that as we worship together this morning, that we do just remember that the larger body of Christ as a whole is worshiping um, and that we are glorifying God through both through our, our music of, of singing and declaring His glory and also through the sharing in His Word. So this morning, we're going to dive into God's Word. And uh, as we do that, let's go ahead and pray just as we get started this morning. Lord God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your Word that we can continue to go to. Thank you that you are holy and that you are completely sufficient. Father, I pray that the cares and concerns that are on our hearts this morning, that we would hand those to you. That, Lord, that you would remove the distractions and, God, that we would interact with your word this morning as your spirit prompts and leads our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that through your word this morning that you would encourage our hearts, that you would convict our hearts, and that, Lord, that more than anything else, that we would have a desire to glorify you with our lives. So, Father, thank you for the grace that empowers us to live with you, that empowers us to experience your life. Father, may we rejoice this morning in the celebration that we have of your death and resurrection and your promised return. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know how the week has been for you or even what uh, you found exciting. I wonder if you're kind of like us where we're finding different uh, seasons right now in these last few weeks where we're kind of running out of kind of those, those new things to go do. I mean, whether it's going for a walk or whether it's playing a game. And so we enjoy those things, and we enjoy those things as a family, as much as I'm trying to get my kids to go walk with me. There's that point where they would rather go walk by themselves or run by themselves rather than dad going with them. But the truth is, is that one thing that we have looked forward to was this past week was the NFL draft. And as diehard Raider fans, uh, in our house, you can't be in our house unless you're a Raider fan, although there is someone, my daughter namely, that would prefer not to call herself a Raider fan, but it happens on occasion. And so Tyler and I were excited about what was going to happen with the Raiders this week, how the Raiders were going to uh, draft and who they were going to draft. And so as we sat down just for a few minutes just to watch the beginning of the draft to see what happened with the Raiders the pick right before them was the New York Jets. And, uh, and as the Jets went to pick, they, they picked this individual that we weren't familiar with at all. His name was Mackay Becton. And Mackay Becton, when he was drafted, Tyler and I just started laughing. And we, we laughed and we, we looked at each other and there was just kind of this sense of amazement. And the reason that there was this sense of amazement was that Becton is a 21-year-old guy. He's six foot seven. 364 pounds, 
and he runs the 40 dash in 5.1 seconds. It's crazy. And then just as we started laughing about this, kind of looking at each other, the NFL Network cut away, and they had pictures of him running this this 40-yard dash in 5.1 seconds, and then they went back and showed him in high school on his high school basketball team dunking balls. So if you can think of that for a second, this guy's six foot seven, 364 pounds, dunking a basketball. The guy is like a beast. And Tyler and I just looked at each other and one of us said something to the effect of, gosh, man, he's like an animal. He's like a beast. Well, the truth is, is that when we refer to people as animals or, or even beasts, we're really talking about their physical power or their aggressiveness or in other cases, we're talking about their brutality. And so this morning, we're going to continue our series in 2 Peter and look at the last half of chapter 2. You see, Peter also describes a group of people who are called animals. And they were the false teachers who were seeking to mislead those following Christ. You see, God exposes the hearts of false teachers so that we might remain steadfast in our faith. And so, let's go ahead together. We're going to read 2 Peter here. We're going to start in chapter 2, the the latter part of verse 10. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 10. This week we're going to look through at verses 10 through 22. And so let's read that this morning together as we we go through God's word. And this is what it says. It says, "Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones." Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression a speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. The heart of this passage 
this morning is that understanding the heart of false teachers emboldens us to stand against wickedness and persevere in faith. Understanding the heart of false teachers emboldens us to stand against wickedness and persevere in our faith. We understand the heart which emboldens us to stand against wickedness and persevere in our faith. You see, at the beginning of chapter 2, we saw last week in verse 1, the description here who Peter was talking about. He says, But false prophets also are among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. We're given a description and what to look for in their teaching in order to be watchful and to know that they will face the judgment of God. In fact, in verse 9 through 10, it says, Peter reminds us that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. See, Peter makes some harsh accusations here. He, he speaks of them as those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and who despise authority. Simply put, they seek self and deny the lordship of Christ or the authority of Christ in their lives. They're seekers of self who deny Christ. So Peter begins in chapter 2 by looking at how false teachers actually attract Christians to their following or to their teaching. He concludes, though, by exposing their hearts. So in verses 1 through 10, we saw this picture of the false teachers. We saw how they attracted people to their teaching, a teaching that denied Christ, a, a teaching that appealed to the flesh, and a teaching that was full of lies. But the truth is that there was more to it, that Peter was reminding us that just as sure as God will judge, he will also save. And so judgment is to come and salvation with Christ in His presence is to come when He returns. And so, Peter's pointing out here, he's showing us what to look for in the teacher as he teaches, but he's also wanting us to understand the depth of his heart. See, the difficulty with false teachers is false teachers at first seem very loving. They seem as a part of the body. They seem to be initially walking with God. And the tendency may simply be to give them the benefit of the doubt. To simply say they might be misguided. Maybe they're not so harmful as it seems. But when you're in sin, these false teachers come after you. But even more so, if, if you're struggling in your faith, these, these false teachers find a place in your heart. And the truth is, is that the false teachers are not coming well-intended, but simply misguided. They are coming from a wicked or from an evil perspective. At the root of it is a wicked heart. See, no matter how gentle they may seem, Peter wants us to understand the wicked heart motivations of false teachers. We live in a culture of tolerance. 
we live in a culture where sometimes it's hard to believe that people are just going to, to do things that are evil for the sake of being evil. I remember coming into ministry years ago and, and witnessing for the first time somebody's evil for the sake of evil. It, it was just simply vengeance. And as I witnessed that vengeance, as I saw that vengeance, these scriptures popped alive. It reminded me of the nature of man being evil and defiled, and that apart from Christ, we're unrighteous and unholy. But it also reminded me of of the depth of that evil. That Satan himself rebelled against God, believing that he could be more powerful and higher than God and turned against God. And God overthrew Satan. And yet, Satan fights today. And his only fight is to take others with him. To simply bring others into the misery in which is his eternity. You see, in a culture of tolerance, false teachers are not to be tolerated. Peter's showing us the heart of the false teacher to know why he deals with false teachers in a direct and swift and harsh manner or what is seemingly harsh. Peter wants us to understand that their motivations are not driven by just simple misunderstanding, but a willful response or rejection to the message of Christ. In Titus 1, Paul says in verse 10 through 11, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Speaking of false teachers, he continues, They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Verse 13 continues, Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, And it concludes in verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That's how false teachers are described. They're described in a detestable sense, in a sense that has no life, has no spiritual life, And he calls them detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. That doesn't sound like somebody who's misled. And what Peter's going to do is affirm that. And so what Peter gives us here is actually a portrait of an animal-like heart. A portrait of an animal-like heart. And so the first thing that we see is it says in verse 10, the last part of it, it says, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they do the following. Bold and willful. You see, the false teacher's pride does not stem from naivety, but is bold and willful. As elders, one of the things that we're tasked with is to deal with false teachers who attempt to get into the church or try to get in. And because they tend to be well-liked at different times, or because they tend to give answers that people want to hear and they appeal to the flesh, it can be difficult. It can be divisive. 
It is important to remember what Hebrews says. That elders are caring and watching over your soul. And the truth is, is that false teachers do try to enter into the body. In fact, false teachers in many instances have gained traction within bodies. And we see them even today. Where they're leading congregations and leading them astray. Presenting not the fullness of the gospel, but a partial gospel, which is not a gospel at all. So the false teacher's pride, while it's bold and willful, this word bold in Greek carries with it the idea of daring. They're daring. Their arrogance is so significant spiritually that they're just daring. They'll do it out front, they'll take on others. They think that their ways are always right and they do not allow Scripture or other believers to bring correction. They willfully resist the rebuke of elders and promote their own authority. They will willfully resist the rebuke of elders and promote their own authority. Truth is, when false teachers come in, They despise authority. But they despise authority because authority is from Christ. And so, by not being able to submit to earthly authority, they're demonstrating that they can't submit to Christ's authority. They promote themselves. So there's three aspects of this spiritual pride then. The first is blasphemy blasphemy in verse 10 through 13 it says they blaspheme the glorious ones whereas angels though greater in might and power do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the lord but these like irrational animals creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction suffering wrong as the wage for the wrongdoing See, false teachers are so prideful and so self-assured that they slander the angels. In essence, they mock the glory of God. They're willing to dishonor God. They're willing to dishonor His glory. In 1 Peter 1, 10-11, we're told, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So what they were doing here most likely is they were actually slandering the second coming of Christ. The angels who were part of being, being God's glory, they were actually dealing with the second coming of Christ and they were actually minimizing the second coming of Christ. So they were slandering of what was to come. The level of their own arrogance is compared then next to the humility of the angels. So the false teachers come in and say, listen, there's no, there's no second coming. In, in fact, the angels themselves, I'm so proud that that I can actually speak and slander and, and actually judge the angels. 
Peter's making the point of the arrogance that the false teacher actually believes or acts in a judging manner towards the supernatural, towards God and His glory. And so Peter Peter is showing this, this arrogance residing there. He compares it to the angels who in their humility do not speak against or judge the false teacher. Notice what it says. They blaspheme the glorious one, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. The angels recognize that it's not their place to pronounce judgment. They don't get to to condemn the false teacher to hell. That's God who does that. And they honor God by giving God His rightful place and authority in their lives. The false teacher, by contrast, chooses to judge and blaspheme, to dishonor God by taking God's authority in their own eyes and judging those who give Him glory. We actually see this often as people begin to to speak ill of, of God's servants. Those who are faithfully proclaiming Christ. See, one commentator puts it this way. He says, they make pronouncements that deny the Lord and His truth, and they arrogantly claim to have the truth in areas which they actually do not understand at all. The area of life they fail to comprehend, no doubt, has to do with spiritual understanding of matters of the Lord and His will for His people and for this world. Now notice here that the false teachers are referred to as irrational animals. Creatures of instinct. See, the false teachers are actually just living according to their own natural instinct. This is why Peter's able to say that they're irrational animals and creatures of instinct, because they lack spiritual understanding and the salvation that's granted through Christ. They just live by instinct. I mean, think about an animal's life for a moment. They do what is natural to them. They go and they, some of them play, some of them devour. And manimal goes about its business, just doing its thing. It's all instinct. And then they die. An animal doesn't have the Spirit of God. An animal doesn't have eternal purpose with Christ. They just live according to their natural instinct. He's saying these false teachers, all they have to offer is the natural instinct. Some of these animals look different. Just the same way that your own household has animals that look different. Some of them are aggressive, some of them are not. Some of them are, are, are polished and some of them are really quirky. But the truth is, is that they're like animals. They only have the natural to offer. 
they don't have the supernatural grace of God. And what we're told is that that is a bold and willful choice. The second aspect of that pride is that they seek unrighteous pleasures. They seek unrighteous pleasures. In verses 13 and 14, it says they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Their blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. See, the idea of reveling here is intemperate luxury. It's luxury without measure, without stop. And it carries with it the idea of carousing behavior. Drunkenness, immorality, and the seeking of wealth, extreme wealth. See, ministry is, is a means for their own luxury and indulgence. That's why they're doing it. They see people as the source of their own fulfillment. The statement here that they have eyes full of adultery implies that they look at women who they're ministering to with lust and as an opportunity to fulfill that lust. Rather than being trained by the Word of God, their hearts are trained in greed. It is the denial of self completely absent. It's a full pursuit of self. When he says here that they sit and feast, the idea is a picture here of the false teacher sitting in the midst of the congregation eating and everyone else around them being fooled and deceived by the heart of deception. The truth is, we wouldn't let those individuals into our own homes. And what Peter's saying is, don't let them into your life. Don't let them deceive you and take you down a place that's going to lead to your destruction. See, Peter refers to them as blots and blemishes when in fact we're called to be blameless and upright. Describing those elders who are appointed within the church, Paul says in Titus 1, 7-10, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or a violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. That's not the life of the false teacher. The false teacher sits among the midst, seeking to devour, seeking self and what he can gain, not what God can gain. Ephesians 5.3 tells us this, and it's an encouragement to us as we follow Christ, as we stand firm he says this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. The false teacher's heart was one of immorality and greed. And yet, we're being told that immorality and covetousness is not even to be named among the saints. God desires righteousness in our life. He desires righteous pleasure that's found in Him. 
And the false teacher seeks that which serves himself, not which serves others, and not that serves God. Finally, the last aspect of that spiritual pride is that they lead others into sin. See, pride is so concerned with self, it doesn't matter who gets hurt along the way. They'll lead others into sin. It's why it's so important at times that we listen to godly counsel. We listen to those that are put in front of us that have shown themselves to be faithful and committed to God's Word and are living a life submitted to the Lord. The reason for that is there are those that are looking to serve self and as they serve self, lead others into destruction and temptation. You see, Peter here gives the example of Balaam. And I have to share, I think that the story of Balaam has often been mis- mistaught or misquoted. It's, it's a funny story. It's a story that seems kind of bizarre. And it's taught when we're kids. And I grew up hearing it in Sunday school and hearing about a donkey that could talk. And, and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world that this donkey talks to this, this guy along the road. And the truth is, is the story is actually quite disturbing. Balaam, who is a prophet of God, is actually asked to to speak on behalf of Balak and Moab. God tells Balaam twice not to go. But Balaam continues to, to ask the Lord, and so the Lord finally tells him, go. He actually hands him over to his own sinful desire. We're told that Balak had raised the money, raised the ante, raised the cost out of Numbers 22. He kept raising the price, and as the price got good, Balaam kept asking. We're told that God was angered in his heart, and he allows Balaam to go because Balaam in his foolishness continues to ask, not because God's desire or God's will was being done, but he continues to ask for his own sake and for his own greed. What comes about is that, if you know the story, along the road an angel of the Lord appears in front of the donkey that Balaam can't see. And three different times, Balaam tries to go kick his donkey and tell it to keep going, and the donkey continues to to move away from the angel of the Lord. And in that moment... The donkey speaks and rebukes. Rebukes Balaam, the prophet of God, who is turning away from him in his own greed. And then God opens the eyes of Balaam to see the destruction that was right in front of him. What's more amazing is that Balaam then goes before the king of Balaam, excuse me, goes before the king of Moab. And going before the king of Moab after that, the king of Moab asks him to curse the Israelites. And Balaam is not allowed to curse the Israelites. And so he only blesses them. As a result, Balaam then directs Balak to have his women, the women of his land, then marry with the Israelites. 
And what happens and transpires is the Israelites then, because of their intermarrying in that nation, they begin to worship the gods of that nation. You see, Balaam's desire for self actually led others into sin. False teachers will lead you into sin. They're not concerned about you even though they may seem it. And Peter's exposing the depth of evilness within their own hearts. He's trying to help you see that these are not well-intended, misdirected people, but rather they are rebellious people walking in the flesh, thinking not of you, thinking not of God, but thinking of themselves. We saw last week that these teachers are often popular. They're well known many times, but there are other times that they're not. But as you seek God's discernment in this area, God will begin to reveal these different aspects. There are many cults that have abused many people through immorality and through greed. And there are many people who claim to be followers of Christ proclaiming a partial gospel that are walking in that same greed and that same lust. So what's the second then piece or picture that we see here? The first of spiritual pride. The second is of empty promises and enslaved to sin. They're full of empty promises and enslaved to sin. Now this does not sound like somebody that you want to sit under their teaching. It doesn't sound like somebody who is looking to specifically honor God, but is momentarily entrapped in sin. The idea here is they have no life to offer. For a moment, it seems good, but then when you go to put it in practice, it doesn't bear out life. It says, these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Listen to this. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. This is the second time we see this. They look to devour the weak in faith. Those unsteady souls, as they're called earlier, when we're walking in sin or unrepentant sin or we ourselves are trapped in sin, we're vulnerable to false teachers. When our faith has grown static and we've become apathetic, we're vulnerable to false teachers. What's the state of your relationship with God? Are you pursuing Him? Are you walking with Him? Are you desiring Him right now? You see, false teachers present something that sounds nice, but in practice, there's no life in it. One per person put it this way, he says, but then when the parched Christian gets near enough to examine their teaching, he finds out that these men are springs without water. They promise much, but they can offer nothing of any lasting value. On the surface, what they say looks appetizing, but underneath it proves to be dry, empty, and worthless. One of the reasons that we preach expositorily 
And the reason that we allow Scripture to teach us as we prepare God's Word is it's easy in the flesh to come up with fleshly means of walking in righteousness. Outward behavior without transformed hearts. But by going through and preaching the whole counsel of God, God is the one that directs it. God's the one that's pointing back to Jesus. We need to be a people who know God's word, who are in God's word. You see, Galatians 2, 4, and 5 says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This promised freedom that sounds so good, that sounds like, gosh, if I just could do everything that I wanted to, is not freedom. When you hear words come out of your mouth, which is just that if I just could get drunk, if I just could have sex with somebody that's not my spouse, or who, if I just could could do whatever I wanted and, and do as much sin as I'd like, I would have total freedom. And what Peter's saying here is you're actually in bondage. See, the freedom that Christ allows us to have in Him is freedom from sin. From the power and shame of sin as we walk with Him. It allows us to have victory over that sin, to grow in righteousness. You see, victory is only through Christ and freedom is is not the license to do everything and anything we want. We see that all the time in addictions, don't we? We see how pornography or we see how alcohol, both sources of freedom that all of a sudden we felt like, gosh, if we just had enough freedom, we could go do this. And yet God says, no, immorality is wrong. Fornication is wrong. Drunkenness is wrong. And before we know it, we're mastered by those things because we willingly allow sin to enter into our life and then we're mastered by that sin. You see, Galatians 2, 4, and 5 They had not slipped away. They had not yielded in submission for a moment to the false teacher's teaching. And Galatians 5.1 adds this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Freedom is not found in sin. It is found in Christ. And those of you who have been trapped in sin and understand the power of sin know that it doesn't have anything lasting to offer. It might be intoxicating in the moment, but it's not sustaining. Romans 6, 17 through 19 tells us this. We're not to be enslaved. We're not to go back to the slavery that we once had apart from Jesus. We're told in this in verse 17 of chapter 6 of Romans, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 
and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and a lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. God didn't say, guess what? Now that you have God's grace, you're free to go sin. That wasn't the purpose of his salvation. The purpose of his salvation was to say, guess what? I've given you victory over sin. When you sin and you fall down, get back up and pursue me. The pursuit is a pursuit of Christ for our sanctification, for his work. These false teachers don't understand this. And so the third piece of that picture that we see then, and the final piece, is that they're under greater judgment for the rejection of Christ. They're under greater judgment for the rejection of Christ. Notice what it says here in 2 Peter. At the end of this passage, we're told that it was better if they had been in their first condition than their last condition. It says, For after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. Now notice, these people at some point have some sort of spiritual experience. But it's seed that does not take root. It is seed that does not bear fruit in their life. And it says this, that the last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. You see, these false teachers, they're actually under greater judgment than they were before. They're storing up judgment for themselves. They're not getting away with this. We shouldn't walk by and convince ourselves, well, they're well-intended, they'll come. We need to be praying for them, no doubt. But these are individuals that have been handed over to their own sin in the same way that Balaam had been handed over and rebuked They've been handed over. They know the truth, but they're rejecting the truth. And they're deceived. Their hearts are in willful rebellion against God. They fail to submit to Him. And so they're under greater judgment. Luke 12 tells us this, that this this judgment is greater for those who know the truth and then continue to reject it. In Luke 12, we're told this in verses 17 and 18. This one passage. It says, And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many, many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I just read to you the wrong passage, by the way. So, we're going to go. I knew that sounded wrong. It's verses 47 and 48, and I think I said 17 and 18. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I said the right passages, but I started in the wrong place. Excuse me here. Let me come back to it. Oh, I know where I did. Sorry about that, guys. Luke 12. 47 and 48. That's right. There we go. 
And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And for him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. You see, there is greater judgment for those who know the truth and have rejected it who willingly walk against it. So how do we respond then to a false teacher as we wrap up this morning? Well, the response is actually tied to the holy commandment that's spoken of in 2 Peter 2. The truth is, is it is through Christ that we have new life. And Ephesians 4, verse 20 through 24, tells us how we should respond It says this, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, God did not call us to a life of license, and to a life of sin. The false teachers teach that freedom is actually in the seeking of self rather than in denying self for the sake of Christ. They deny Christ and seek self, but Christ calls you to deny yourself and seek Him. And so He has called us to persevere in faith through humbly putting on the new self in Christ to persevere in faith through humbly putting on the new self in Christ. You see, we may battle with the flesh, but through the Holy Spirit, we have victory in Christ. And so I want to encourage you this morning to put on the new self of Christ. Don't allow yourself to become susceptible to false teaching, which will lead you astray and will bring you to destruction. But rather, put on the new self of Christ. Persevere in your faith. Pursue Him, knowing that as you put on the new self, meaning that you you come before, you allow the Spirit to do the work in your life, knowing that the Spirit is now empowering you, that it's no longer the sinful desires, the sinful nature that rules your heart, but it is now the Spirit. Allow Him to work. Allow God's word to reign and rule and change and sanctify. I want to close us with this this word that comes from Stephen Cole. It says, Genuine saving faith perseveres on the path of righteousness. This is not to say that Christians never sin. Sometimes they sin big time. But when they do, they genuinely repent and get back on the path. False believers, like these false teachers, are like dogs that go back to their vomit or pigs that return to their mire. They cleaned up the outside, but their basic nature never changed. Eventually, they act according to their true nature. They do not love God or the way of righteousness described in His Word because they have not been born again. May we be a people who persevere in our faith. May we be a people who who stand against wickedness, knowing that the heart of false teachers is not a misguided heart for God, but rather 
it is a guided heart by the enemy of our souls himself. It is only through Christ that we can persevere in faith as we submit to him and desire to walk in the freedom of his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come to you today knowing that your word, that you desire us in your word to know what a false teacher looks like and even more importantly, to know their hearts. God, it is good to know that when you direct them to be rebuked sharply, that there is a reason for it. Your word says that they might be changed to have sound doctrine, but we also know that to mean that they might be changed to know you as their Savior. But God, we need to know what is really at work within the heart of the false teacher, and I thank you for showing us that. So God, may we not be deceived and fall into the temptation, the deceptive work of false teachers, but may we boldly persevere in our faith as we submit ourselves to you, and we ask this in your name. Amen.